Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Vortex Optics. With the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And Quest Nature Tours, offering expert-led small group tours for bird and nature lovers since 1970. Explore exceptional journeys around the world at questnaturetours.com. And Beautio Books, an independent, family-owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. Beautiobooks.com. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to our show number 952. We want to start this morning with a short snippet of song, bird song that is, courtesy of our friend Gino Ellison, who's in the midst of a North American big year with the personal goal of identifying 700 bird species by the end of 2023. Here's the snippet, but first a hint. It was recorded on Gamble Island, Alaska. Guesses anybody? Well, Gino tells us... Oh, there we are, a microphone. All right. Gino tells us that it's an Arctic warbler, a bird that's part of the Eurasian leaf warbler family and unrelated to the warbler species we see in North America. Meanwhile, Gino reports that his big-year count is now up to 696 species So I'm figuring (laughs) getting to 700 is going to happen well before his December 31st deadline. Way to go, Gino. We have a couple of audio postcards this morning, both from the Deep South and both from good friends of the show. We're talking Alabama and Mississippi, starting off with our friend Patrick, who became our 501st Talking Birds ambassador when he signed up for that. And he's made that part of his identity as we're about to hear. Here he is with a young friend of his in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Hey, Patrick. Hey, Ray. Ambassador 501 here. Just enjoying the calls of a juvenile red-shouldered hawk who is taking up residence in our neighborhood porch. I've been lucky to get views of him from less than five feet away, and it's just been absolutely stunning watching him learn um, how to fend for himself. But he does wreak havoc on our songbirds, I'm sure. But uh, that's all part of the circle of life. So, but it's just wanted to share that beautiful call with you. Have a great day and happy birding. Thank you so much, Patrick, for that outstanding audio postcard. And now, kind of south-southwest from Tuscaloosa, we meet up with veterinarian extraordinaire and plurder nonpareil, Dr. Jim Randolph. Hello, Jim. Good Sunday morning, Ray, and Talking Birds listeners. Have you ever thought about the fact that there's no G in dancing or darling, as in... I was dancing with my darling to the Tennessee walls. Got me to thinking, 
Maybe there shouldn't be a G in plurden, as in picking up litter while burden. Happy nature enjoyment to everybody. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. Uh, for those words and that singing, that is an intriguing, excuse me, intriguing idea. But seriously, plurting is something we like a whole lot, and if you'd like to do it too in an official way, even if you're already doing it without that nomenclature, please visit our TalkingBirds.com website and click on the Get Involved tab where you can take the plurting pledge and become an official proud plurter. And we'll even send you a, pl- a proud plurter iron-on badge if you do. That's another bird. Sounds a little bit like the one we heard a few minutes ago, but it's mm, quite different. This is a preview of our mystery bird contest coming along a bit later. Our mystery bird is a small songbird with a short, thick bill, and for the male, a prominent white shoulder patch. In breeding plumage, the male has a striking blue head and back, a reddish chest, and a white belly. The female, warm brown above, hints of blue on the wings and tail, lighter brown on the underparts. Our bird, which is found in open woodlands, where it forages on the ground, mostly for insects, breeds through much of the western U.S. and southwest Canada, and winters mostly in Mexico. We have a really great prize this morning from Broom Bird Care. It's the Mega 600 Bird Feeder with an extra-large tube that holds nearly two and a half pounds of seed. It's easy to clean and chew-proof and includes the Brome Seed Ventilation System to keep the seed cool and dry, and it even comes with the Brome Lifetime Care Warranty. A feather-friendly window crash collision kit. Also, if if we get to our bonus question uh, on this morning's show on a mystery bird contest just a bit later. We're happy to be able to salute uh, more Talking Birds ambassadors helping us get the word out about birds and conservation. And thank you to Erica M. from Clark Lake, Michigan, about 20 miles west of Ann Arbor. Thank you, Erica. And thank you to Sam Clem from Atlanta, Georgia. Sam says, love your show. While I wait for the Hollywood strikes to end, I got a job at a bird watcher's store. Now get to spend my day talking about birds and conservation with like-minded people. That is so cool. Sam is a a set designer, by the way. So, Sam, we hope all that gets straightened out pretty soon. And here's someone else uh, who has a good reason for becoming a Talking Birds ambassador. I'm Maddie Bozen from Brooklyn, New York. I decided to become a Talking Birds ambassador because I was already telling all of my friends about the show. I would encourage anybody who is considering becoming a Talking Birds ambassador to just go for it. It's a fun way to connect with your friends, neighbors, and fellow birders. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll join our ambassadors family at TalkingBirds.com. Join today, and thanks. Yes, join today is right. You know, end of summer, start of school, everybody's busy. But if you've ever thought of becoming a Talking Birds ambassador, I mean, if it's ever even crossed your mind, this would be an especially good time to do it and join our beautiful Talking Birds ambassadors family, now 834 members strong. And to do it, just click on that Get Involved tab at Talking Birds. 
talkingbirds.com. That's the Get Involved tab at talkingbirds.com. No G in talking. Still to come today, we'll talk with the American Bird Conservancy's Hardy Kern about a bird-killing pesticide, a group of pesticides called neonics. Also today, Mike O'Connor will join us for a Let's Ask Mike segment almost live from the archive about birding in a place not everybody may think of as a place to watch birds. And up next, a big, beautiful beautio is today's featured feathered friend. Some folks call today's featured feathered friend the grasshopper hawk. Not because it looks like a grasshopper, but because it eats grasshoppers. Lots of them. One source says the bird will eat up to a hundred grasshoppers per day. The bird is the Swainson's hawk. A large, long-winged hawk with pointed wingtips. In flight, it soars with its wings angled up in a slight dihedral. Its upper parts, including its head, are brown. It has a white throat, a rust-colored upper breast, and pale buff to white underparts. The rare dark morph has brown upper and lower parts and retains the white throat patch. The Swainson's hawk gets its name from 19th century British naturalist and illustrator William Swainson. Thanks to his contributions to science, other naturalists and ornithologists named this, as well as a thrush and a warbler, in his honor. The Swainson's hawk breeds on the western plains of North America and southwest Canada, from Texas to the Yukon. Most individuals migrate to the Pampas of Argentina in winter, a distance of as much as 5,000 miles. One of the best places to view the Swainson's hawk in breeding season is in the Snake River Birds of Prey National Conservation Area in Idaho. Our Freya McGregor might attest to that fact since she was there recently. We'll check with her. It's the grasshopper hawk, also known as the locust hawk, Beautio Swainsoni, today's Talking Birds featured feathered friend, the Swainson's hawk. Welcome again to our show, number 952. Hardy Kern is the Director of Government Relations at the American Bird Conservancy and Director of their Birds and Pesticides campaign. And he's here to tell us about the extreme threat to birds and their environments by neonicotinoid pesticides, or neonics. Good morning, Hardy. Morning, Ray. Thank you so much for having me. Really glad to be here. Our pleasure and honor indeed. Well, you're the co-author of a new report published by the American Bird Conservancy, ABC, that says the U.S. is failing to effectively regulate neonicotinoid pesticides despite overwhelming evidence that they harm birds, the insects that sustain them, and the aquatic environments that many rely on. So to start off, what are neonics and why are they so harmful? Absolutely. Neonics are a specific class of insecticides that 
do their job very well. They were developed in the early 90s, but they didn't really become commonplace in the United States, both in agriculture and in at-home uses or community uses until about 2003 or 2004. And after that, their use just completely exploded. It skyrocketed. And in the chemical pesticide industry, there's always a push to come up with a newer, more effective type of insecticide or herbicide or whatever it might be. And with neonics, they really, really hit their mark because they are highly effective chemicals and that they're really toxic in extraordinarily small amounts. This means that when they were first brought onto the scene, they were marketed as, you know, a, a new type of insecticide that would be able to be used in much smaller quantities with much greater effect. However, as we've seen with neonics is the same that we've seen with a lot of other new chemical classes that have been brought into the conversation and brought onto the market over the years which is that we didn't really fully understand their full breadth and their full uh, impact when they were first developed and first deployed. And now years later, we're looking back and realizing how environmentally harmful these chemicals have been. Now, these are applied as a seed coating, as I understand it, generally to crops like corn, soybeans, but they don't just affect the individual seeds, right? That's correct. Neonics are neurotoxins. They are designed to fit into um, specific receptors inside of an invertebrate's uh, nervous system and sometimes also a vertebrate's nervous system as well. And they fit inside a little slot that is meant for a specific receptor that helps with muscle contraction and that helps with nerve firing. So essentially what they do is they block nerve signal transduction, which makes it hard to contract your limbs or have your internal organs keep operating. That means that they become really, really great uh, insect killers. But because they work on the nervous system, they have a lot of other effects as well. And the way that they were designed was to be really highly water soluble. They travel really easily through water. And that's great from their original intentions, because when they're put on the outside of a seed, that seed gets planted in the ground, it gets its first little bit of water, and the coating on this seed sloughs off. And as that little seed sprouts its first roots, it sucks the insecticide up into its roots. And then as the plant sprouts, it actually grows the insecticide into every single part of its tissue. That means it can't be washed off. It's not going to come off with rain. And then the first round of aphids or sucking insects that come along are going to take a bite of that plant, experience the insecticide, and then maybe leave the plant alone. However, as little as 2% of that insecticide coating actually makes it into the plant. The rest, up to 98%, winds up either coming off as dust even before the seed is planted, or it gets into groundwater, it stays in the soil, it makes its way into local streams and rivers, where it continues doing its job. It continues to kill invertebrates, and that's a, a you know, invertebrates are a major source of food for birds. Not to mention that birds are really, really um a use to American agriculture. We find them a lot on farmlands and a lot of birds are opportunistic. So they see a big seed spill or a freshly plowed field. They're going to dive down and pick up some of those seeds. And here's the crazy thing with neonics as seed coatings. 
as little as one single seed is enough to kill a songbird the size of a red-winged blackbird, a pretty able-bodied, pretty stout little bird. And that that's that just shows how highly toxic that these chemicals can be. So they're kind of a one-two punch because not only are they uh, toxic to a bird when they're ingested, they also contribute to overall insect loss. So the birds might get poisoned by eating them, but they also might experience extreme prey loss in areas where neonics are used. And neonics, by the way, are the most widely used insecticide in the United States. As much as um, 90%, some estimates even say 97% of corn planted in the United States has a neonic on the outside of their seed when they're planted in the ground. Your report, by the way, um, Hardy says there's been little progress since ABC's call for stricter regulations 10 years ago. Can you give a very quick uh, idea why nothing has really happened? Sure. So 10 years ago, ABC published a report. This was well before I worked at ABC documenting how dangerous neonics were to birds. It was sort of seeing the initial 10 years of results. It was a massive review of scientific literature, as well as a look at data with specific policy recommendations for the Environmental Protection Agency, as well as Congress to say, you know, here's some ideas on how we can scale back the impact of these insecticides. Another 10 years has passed. So this is 2023 when we published the second report. And we have not seen any major development in regulating neonics. And this is for a wide variety of reasons. I I don't want to point specific fingers at any one agency, but basically neonics have become so ubiquitous in American agriculture and a lot in our home uses as well that there's a heavy interest in keeping them on the market. Um, we feel that the initial investigations into neonics done by the EPA, which they are federally required to do, didn't really consider all of the impacts to non-target organisms like wildlife. It didn't look at what happens when they get into the water. It didn't really look at what happens when multiple neonics might be in the same field or an organism is exposed to the same chemical coming from different sources. So we made specific recommendations in 2023. We haven't seen those adopted 10 years later. And so our new report goes even further to say that we would like to see more states passing laws that restrict the use of neonics. 10 have done so already, which we're very excited about. And the current EPA administration is actually doing a really fantastic job of trying to make up for basically 40 years of not complying with federal law. They've lost in court several times on this matter, and they're really doing their best to try to introduce some new mitigations. But we are kind of still poking them with a stick to make sure that birds are receiving the greatest protections possible because we feel they can always do more. We are so uh, close to being out of time, Hardy, but I wonder if we can bring this back to us regular folks and tell us briefly what we can do. Happily. So the best things you can do are talk to your elected officials, 
Talk to your Congress people, talk to your state representatives and let them know that neonics are something that you care about and you would like to see their use restricted at the state level and that you would like them to support better funding for the EPA so that they can continue to evaluate the impacts on these insectis- of these insecticides on birds. And the other thing you can do is at home, if you garden, try to avoid the use of any chemical pesticides. There's some really great non-toxic alternatives. Buy organic when you're able to. And my best piece of advice is read the label. We have some great resources on abcbirds.org that teach you how to read a label and make sure that your products are as bird-friendly as possible. Hardy Kern is the Director of Government Relations at the American Bird Conservancy and Director of their Birds and Pesticides campaign. Hardy, thanks for explaining all this to us, and thank you for your important work. Thank you so much, Ray. Great to be on the show, and, uh, you know, long-time listener, first-time caller, so very, very pleased. (laughs) Never heard that before, but thank you. (laughs) Hardy Kern here on Talking Birds. That website, again, is abcbirds.org. Up next, it's our Mystery Bird contest in just one minute. The Flutter of a Tail Feather. The flash of a wing bar in mid-flight. You don't always have a lot of time to identify a bird in nature, let alone to appreciate its beauty. But with Vortex Optics, you'll have the power to bring every wild moment closer. When you choose Vortex, you're choosing to have a partner in the field as passionate about nature as you are. Whether you're spotting old friends on the backyard feeder or packing for a -a once-in-a-lifetime trip to add a few species to your life list, Vortex offers a full range of optics and optics accessories for every birder and every budget. And whether the birds are taking you to another state or another country, you're always covered by the Vortex VIP warranty, an unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. If you'd like to learn more or if you need help choosing your next optic, Give Vortex a call at 1-800-4-VORTEX or visit vortexoptics.com. Where's that mystery bird? He should be playing. He's not, uh, he's not playing. I believe my, uh, thank you, Jesse. (laughs) We always have a backup mystery bird, but it's the same bird. It's a small songbird with a short, thick bill and in the male, a prominent white shoulder patch In breeding plumage, the male has a striking blue head and back, a reddish chest and a white belly. The female is warm brown above with hints of blue on the wings and tail and lighter brown on the underparts. Our bird, which is found in open woodlands where it forages on the ground mostly for insects, breeds through much of the western U.S. and southwest Canada and winters mostly in Mexico. What is that bird? A beautiful Brome Bird Care Mega 600 feeder is the prize this morning. That is a beautiful, beautiful feeder, and it comes with the Brome Lifetime Care Warranty. And the number to call is 781-837-4900. That's 781-837-4900. Call us as soon as you possibly can. As usual, we're pretty short on time. 781-837-4900. Meanwhile... Mike O'Connor, almost live from the archive. Let's ask Mike in just one minute. What's one of your favorite memories? <laughs> That's a tough question. Um, well, there was this one time I went camping with my parents in a forest back when I was maybe like eight or nine. And um, I can remember one night we were in our hammocks and we were just, you know, 
watching the trees rustling in the wind above us, and we could hear the sounds of the forest all around us. Frogs singing and owls calling and the creek running nearby. It was amazing. It felt like we were a part of it all. I don't know if I do it justice trying to describe it, but I'll definitely never forget it. Most of us have a memory of being in nature we'll never forget. Let's protect the world's natural places so more memories can be made for generations to come. Visit worldwildlife.org. Mike O'Connor is down there at the famous Birdwatcher's General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and he is joining us on the telephone right now. Good morning, Mike. Hey, good morning, Ray. So, community garden birding, how many, I mean, do people generally think about birding in community gardens? You were about to tell us what a good thing that is. You know, it, it really is. You know, in a lot of um, time where people aren't maybe perhaps traveling as much, a lot of times we'll go to a uh, state park or wildlife refuge, but they're huge, and you do a lot of walking and you see some good things. But the community gardens, and I think every town has, even even your city of Boston has several, and they're small. They may be like an acre, but they're just full of diversity of different plants because people grow vegetables, they grow flowers, they grow all kinds of herbs and stuff. And you know how people get into a hobby and they get all excited? That's what gardeners are in the spring, that plant and everything. And now uh, breeding, breeding, <laughs> growing season is winding down, and so they're kind of losing interest, and the birds are taking over. And a lot of these things, that weed seeds have grown up, and it's full of birds. I, I go out just about every morning, and it, they're small, so it doesn't take a long time. But I see assorted warblers and some sparrows and some buntings. I saw some dick thistles. I see bobolinks. All of these little tiny places. There's a nice one in the nearby town of Howard. Unfortunately, I went there the other day, and your friend David Clapp was there, so, so I turned around and left because who needs that, of right? <laughs> of course. But they're, they're, they're really good, and, and they're always sunny because they're gardens, so the birds look good, and if you're a a photographer, if you carry a camera, it's beautiful because the birds are landing on uh, flower heads and assorted flowers, and so you can get these great shots. And um, I, I saw a bunch of hummingbirds today, and I haven't seen hummingbirds in my feeders in, in, in probably about a week to ten days, but they're still finding these gardens. So look up online, community garden in your area, and you can just you know, spend a short amount of time walking, but you'll see a great diversity of uh, uh, birds and, and get yourself out there. And I don't know, maybe if you look up a little bit, you might see a white pelican because that's what I did. You have one right flying uh, flying over the house there. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know what? The, the, the great late Vern Locke used to end his show with keep your eyes to the skies. Yeah. And I actually did it one time and there was a white pelican flying over and I don't know where, nobody else in the Cape seemed to have seen it, although it was spotted in other places in New England. But it just kept going, so um, yeah. So there you go. So keep your eyes to the skies. Thanks for that advice, friend. Yeah. But and hit the community gardens when you get a chance. You'll see a diversity of birds for sure. Alright. That's Mike O'Connor, spotter of a white pelican. He has photo proof, uh, unless you download that from the internet or something like that. I'm not saying nothing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, Mike. Okay. Talk to you next week, Greg. All right. Mike O'Connor there at the famous Birdwatcher's General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. And one more time, that's the mystery bird 
What is it? 781-837-4900 is the number by which to uh, tell us or take your guess. No correct answer means a drawing will determine the winner. 781-837-4900. Our mystery bird is a small songbird with a short, thick bill and in the male a prominent white shoulder patch. In breeding plumage, the male has a striking blue head and back, a reddish chest and a white belly. The female is warm brown above with hints of blue on the wings and tail and lighter brown on the underparts. You see this bird in open woodlands, um, most of the western U.S., southwest Canada in breeding season, Mexico in the winter. What is it? 781-837-4900 in Larry in Situate, Massachusetts. Thinks he might know what that bird is. Hello there, Larry. How you doing? I'm doing well. Larry, how about you? And what do you think our mystery bird is there? Lazuli bunting. Boy, that was like, uh, you knew that one right there. Yeah. Lazuli bunting, or lazuli, some say. Lazuli, L-A-Z-U-L-L. L-I, I think. L-I, That's all right. That's all right. And I'm also an ambassador. Well, thank you for that. That's the best thing. It's one of the best things to be. We, and I need we, more cards. If you can give me some more. <laughs> we'll get you some more cards, Larry. All right. We've just had a whole bunch printed up. All right. Larry, thank you so much. Stay on the line, and uh, Jesse will take care of the rest Ray, of that Ray, you're thing. the best. <laughs> thank you, Larry. <laughs> All right, there's Larry correctly identifying the lazuli or lazuli uh, bunting, one of those birds that people pronounce different ways. And that is about going to wrap up our show for this morning. Next week's show, we don't know, but we're working on it. So we'll see you then, and uh, thanks for being with us. See you next week. The bird show, I like that. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Vortex Optics, with the VIP warranty. Their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And Quest Nature Tours, offering expert-led small group tours for bird and nature lovers since 1970. Explore exceptional journeys around the world at questnaturetours.com. And Beautio Books, an independent, family-owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. Beautiobooks.com.